Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too it's a thing and now the truth is out there i can tell you about my favorite place to have fun chumba casino they have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus <laughs> this is your pilot speaking <laughs> You we're gonna we're gonna crash. You do not sound excited at all. I mean, let's let's get pumped up here. It's my, might be the last podcast we record while they're still playing games. It so most certainly will be. Oh. <laughs> I don't see us getting another one in by Sunday. Yeah, I guess not. Oh. Okay, okay. wait. We need we need to actually be quiet now. This is Julio Rodriguez, and this is the Lookout Landing Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are in a festive mood. We are giving out celebratory awards. We are really just praising, or at least trying to. There'll be some negative awards, I guess, which maybe we could save, but we are in a praising effusive mood today as we hand out the 2020 mariner awards uh this is a annual tradition started one year ago in which we make up awards these are totally arbitrary very whose line is it anyway style and then decide which mariner or which game from the mariner season is most deserving of said award and i cannot do this all on my own as much as i would love to so i've called upon my two co-hosts for the night uh, who are both lavishly dressed i'm sure probably a tuxedo ball gown situation we have kate preuser and john troopin uh what are what are we looking like today guys did we get all dolled up or are we dressed down for the occasion obviously i'm wearing the tuxedo john has on the ball gown Uh, i've actually got a tuxedo ball gown combo um it's ball gown on top tuxedo on the bottom um it's the worst of both worlds (laughs) uh 
the proportions <laughs> the people are just do a not mess. like it. Yeah, uh, you were definitely gonna end up on some worse dress lists. I'm rocking the uh, since this is pretend and no one can see me, uh, the Janelle Monet style tuxedo outfit, maybe with like the half and half hair that she was wearing at one of the award shows a couple years ago. Very sleek, very chic. Definitely, I love not. that. Still wearing pajamas. Definitely. No, I'm definitely not wearing no shirt and Adidas sweatpants that I've had for years. <laughs> no, I, I came correct, all right? I need everyone to know that I take this very seriously. Yeah. I'm a professional. And, uh, you know, if the Emmys can do it over Zoom, I think we can handle this pretty easily. So I'm I'm also wearing a, a very, like a uh, cartoonishly large top hat that says vote with a question mark <laughs> at the end. Um, but it's for these awards is what I assumed that was going to be talking about. So... I wanted everyone to get all three of us to make sure we we just made our choices in time. So no, I it think seems like you guys have. It's voting season. I think now is a good time for us to use our platform. You know, as as celebrities do at award shows all the time, mm-hmm. and remind everyone to vote and go get registered to vote. And Washington State makes it so easy. If you're a resident of our fine state, um, yeah, I should know the. I should know it. I've typed it so many times into links and recaps and stuff what the what the website is off the top of my head but uh it's uh, sos.wa.gov thank you um actually actually funny story scott service said that he did a drawing for all of the mariners players who were registered to vote or new registrations and there was a grand prize drawing um, to win oh, a right. suite, uh, a suite at the hotel. Uh, I assume are they going to Oakland, or is uh, the, think, are the Oakland? Yes, games they are here? going. Yeah. They're they're at Oakland, All and right. one of the games, the doubleheader, will be a Mariners home game. Okay, so I guess it's when they go down to Oakland. So JP Crawford will be enjoying a fine suite. At a, at a hotel in the Bay Area, which must cost a pretty penny. So good for you, JP. Good for you for being registered to vote. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, thank you to everyone who voted on these awards on Twitter, or at least tried to. Uh, we have no real electoral college or any sort of system for counting the votes other than me looking at the Twitter mentions and going, ha ha, that's good, or no thank you, I'll pass. Um, but we wanted to kind of start... Maybe with like a, you know, kind of like an award show monologue, maybe like uh, some vamping about the state of the team, because some of the Twitter questions were in classic Twitter form, more of a comment than a question. So we thought we could maybe address that before really getting into the meat of the awards. Um, One of them that I really liked came from, hold on, Eamon Smith at Jin and Yusei, who we've seen before and talked about. The Twitter handle being a nod yes. to a goaltender in the NHL. <laughs> uh, the question slash comment, I guess this one is a question, is do we hate the Giants now or is it just kind of a shrug? And we had actually just been talking about that before we started, before we pressed record. We had been off mic discussing the Giants. And I wouldn't say I hate them, but I definitely was very tired of them by this year. And the thing that I said was that it feels like we played them at least eight or nine times, but it was really only four, and that seems impossible to me. So I definitely got giant fatigue, but as far as hateability, I don't think they're really that high. Even when they were good and winning the World Series every other year, I never really could bring myself to hate the Giants. 
Ugh, I didn't hate the Giants as a team, but their fan their fan base is obnoxious. I mean, less obnoxious now that they've been bad for a little while. But I'm annoyed that I don't feel like they've been bad for long enough. Like I was annoyed at, that they were like a playoff adjacent team this year and then they just creamed us and uh i feel like they should be behind us in their rebuild because they started it later and didn't commit to it as fully so that they were better than us i found very very annoying so yeah i do kind of hate the giants now and for other reasons which we'll get into well i will say yeah because i'm i am a little nettled with the giants i do think a, a difference for the mariners is like the rebuild like the mariners sort of whole hogged it you know pretty pretty big by by the start of last year certainly by midway through last year um and even continuing this year sort of sold off whoever they could find like the giants held on to evan longoria they held on to johnny cueto they held on to you know a lot of the guys who were like well, you're not. You were good. Brandon now you're Crawford, not great. Brandon Belt. Buster yeah, Posey. exactly, exactly. So they're it's like old. They are rebuilding, but they're rebuilding in the way that it's like they are just kind of letting their team age out of being good, but still are kind of keeping those guys around. Which means, like in theory, you know, if all those players who at one point were you know, in 2015, you would look at that team and say, oh, yeah, this this team should be competing. Um, you know, now it's like, oh, they shouldn't be. But, you know, little little bit of a bounce. That's, you know, if it weren't for the fact that they seem to just have the Mariners number, I would, I would be pretty psyched for them. Um, but, no, it was really infuriating to just see the Mariners' bats shrivel up and see inexplicable players absolutely feasting on pitchers who have been pretty solid for the most part this year. Yeah. It's it's weird too because we missed out on so much of the league this year that I feel like a lot of our sports hatred could become very concentrated. So like I think we all were expecting to just rip on the Astros all year and I think we did do that but then to have a new competitor emerge such as the Giants in a much different way. Like it's a much different hate not as visceral for me they were more like annoying whereas the astros are like an actual bad person <laughs> so i was able to yeah. sort of discern between them you know it's the difference between like the annoying kid in class and the person who like actually does bad things yeah and the kid who's out the there with a magnifying glass burning ants at recess that's the astros <laughs> the giants are the kid who sits behind you and like keep kicking your seat but they don't mean to they just have really long legs but you've asked them to quit and they don't quit so you're like "Mm, do you mean to do this are you just thoughtless or are you actually evil yeah they're their roommate whose voice is just naturally very loud and you're like well they can't really do anything about it but it is it is tough for me to deal with (laughs) it is what you are and what you are is annoying (laughs) um okay let's uh we have one, I guess. Let's get into this. Maybe this is a pretty good award. Um, we have one where uh, Hamlet Max, uh, that's their Twitter at, thank you, Hamlet Max, just wrote best small sample size. And that can kind of be the whole season, which is why I think this is a nice little soft intro to the real awards we've created. But obviously the season itself, uh, very truncated, very short. Um, but in terms of like guys who are just 
even smaller sample size amid a very small sample size. I was curious who maybe had your favorite. This could also be like maybe the flash in the pan award. Someone who didn't even ever get regular playing time and still kind of found a, a hole in your heart. Uh, do you have anyone? I think there's a lot of candidates, obviously, but no one for me that really like tickles me. Um, so I want to open this up to you guys first and then maybe I'll get my memory jogged and pick someone as you talk. That is a tough one. Um, I mean, he's my answer for some other things, but I think Luis, Luis Torrens, since he came over, has been hitting the ball really hard, like really, really hard, um, and actually has enough of a sample size where exit velocity is stabilized that it's pretty safe to say like he does hit the ball hard. Um, he's slugging a ton more than he did, I think, like, maybe a hundred points higher than as a Padre, and so that, I would think, is maybe my favorite small sample size, something I'll be watching. I really hope that that continues. Um, he's 24, so he's, like, right about poised to where he could come into some man strength, some, some big boy strength. Because uh, he's not, like, the hugest guy. So I'd be really excited to see if the Mariners do something with him. Maybe send him to high performance camp. Maybe try to get a little extra oomph on those arms and see if that continues. Because he certainly knows how to, like, find barrels, find the sweet spot, and uh, and put put a good licking on the ball here and there. So that's that's one small sample size that I've been pretty excited about. Beautiful. Okay, this worked perfectly. I picked someone while you were talking, Kate. I actually have two, Perfect. and they're very specific. Um, one of them, I want to shout out my man, Nestor Cortez, and his 15-26 ERA. <laughs> uh, I forgot that he started a game. He had one start. But the small sample size that I'm more specifically interested in is his wacky, crazy, funky windups that we got to see every now and again. Uh, those were like an even... A tinier amount, a tinier portion of his greater body of work was the weird windup. So I'm going to shout those out. And then the all the other one that I want to shout out is Taylor Williams's socks that he wore. Those stirrups that like actually oh, used teal. He wore them teal. so good. He did. No one, the Mariners as a franchise, and I guess the players are part of this too, are like allergic to teal. It's so annoying to me. Like J.P. Crawford wears the teal sleeve, which I love, but no one else really accessorizes with teal very well. Yeah. And Taylor Williams did it expertly so i want to i want to appreciate that um before it i want to point out too that sorry to interrupt taylor you john williams, sorry taylor williams as a as a hometown kid as someone who grew up he grew up bathed in the teal he is of the teal and so i think that played a played a role and he knows how important that color is to the franchise and man i was so sad to see him go and the padres yeah. aren't even using him they sent him to the alternate site like oh I just yeah, that's, that that's that one hurts up. my heart still. Yeah, I will say my my sort of small sample size delight, uh, and and part of this is is due to uh, seeing him in in the minors at times, as well as uh, a fervent advocate uh, being nearby uh, in Isabel Manassi and former staff writer, but Sam Haggerty, prior to hitting the IL, um, just really absolutely out of nowhere tearing the cover off the ball in his um very brief stint was pretty wild i really enjoyed the like week or two where the mariners were starting lineups that were mm, about 60 to 70 percent second baseman um and i mean 
it didn't make a ton of sense. But uh, yeah, I, I liked that a lot. I, I think there are a lot of a lot of people whose whose seasons this year were pretty wonky and might have balanced out a little less impressively had uh, had they gotten a full year. But you know, Sam Sam did it pretty right. He he showed up. He hit much more than we expected. Stole some bases and then got hurt for the rest of the year and uh, just left us sort of tantalized a little bit of like, you know, what what was that? How did that happen? So uh, I, I appreciated that from from Shaggerty. And we got to call him Ham Ham Swaggerty. Ham Swaggerty, <laughs> it's true. It's it was true. all great. Can't I did end up liking him a lot more than I thought I would. I've fully expected for like half of this roster to leave no impact on me whatsoever. Mm. And he is one of the ones who actually did. And like, I'm not, I wasn't upset when I was watching him the way you kind of are when you watch a lot of these Mariners from this year and last year. So I think thank you to the ham swaggerty. I think this year in particular really was a boon for those sorts of players. And, and for a lot of the guys on this team where like, yes, on the one hand it is a negative that, you know, we don't get the evaluative time that we wanted um and like i don't know evan white's probably not thrilled but like a lot of these players it was just like oh yeah i can remember the specific games because there were only 60 of them and so like if a guy had one or two nuts games like those really stood out yeah totally all right let's get into the awards uh I think we should start with the positives uh, as we are clearly riding high on that Sam Haggerty discussion and want to keep those vibes going. Uh, Favorite game is always a fun one. Usually we have a lot more to pick. Uh, This year we have about, I mean, 20, what is it, 24 wins to choose from, so not that many compared to past seasons. Um, But there is definitely a few that stand out to me, although before we uh, pick a favorite game, I do feel like I should – be real with y'all. I feel like I owe it to the listeners as well, just to be totally forthcoming here. Uh, I really didn't watch a lot of Mariner games tip to tail this year. Definitely the least I ever had in my adult life. It just never felt real to me was the problem. Like the thing I've been saying about COVID this whole time is that every event post COVID is just one big reminder of the way we used to do things before. And I think that showed up heavy with baseball. Like I didn't pay attention to the rest of the league hardly at all. I think part of the issue here is that baseball um, didn't get like its own chunk of the calendar the way it normally does. So instead of Tuesday nights in August being all baseball all the time, like fire up the quad box and just mainline four games at once on MLB TV, it was literally the NBA playoffs every night or the WNBA or soccer and hockey for people who fuck with that. Now football is here too. So I was really confronted by the question of like, how much do I really love baseball? Because I think what I liked maybe more than anything, was just the process of an MLB season. And when that got thrown off, I didn't give it the benefit of the doubt or the full extent of my attention like I would a normal season. So I did ignore the Mariners uh, for a couple nights here and there. Um, And I'm sure that I missed some really fun games and some fun moments. But my favorite game was definitely August 31st against the Angels. It was a 2-1 to victory for the Mariners, the one in which Marco Gonzalez retired 21 hitters in a row. Uh, for a second complete game. And then after the game, we learned that he went in the dugout in like the seventh or eighth. I can't remember. And told Scott service, like, no, this is my game. Do not take me out. Like, <laughs> and I think we all agree that fired up Marco Gonzalez is like one of the best things currently in the Mariner universe. Like it's so Absolutely. fun. 
it's so fun to watch him get excited and like passionate because he's also like he has a very like uh i don't even know what the word is for it you see it a lot in the nba honestly where it's just like i'm a he i think he used the word actually he's a savage like he wants a team of (laughs) savages he's like all i want is savages who want to win the game like i don't care about anything else Mm -hmm. so i feel like when that comes out i'm always so delighted and then just the fact that it was against the angels is even better to me because the mariners finishing ahead of the angels which looks pretty likely now with four or five days rest in the season knock on wood uh that's just hilarious to me so the fact that marco helped push that along is great like silencing a lineup of trout notani and rendon and simmons upton like guys who are like known (laughs) around Mm -hmm. the baseball universe and then in that game it was joe odom and jake fraley and jose marmalejos who did all the offense (laughs) and like that beat the (laughs) angels and i love that so much i I think that that you're tapping into a really good point which is like as a fan like there's a lot analyst wise that i think is really interesting and and whatnot but like there's a ton that goes into watching sports where it's like i would like to see players and coaches who are kind of avatars for how i feel like watching the game who are like as pumped up as i am for the successes and like as frustrated by the like you know letdowns and like i think that's one thing that like i know you know there's mixed feelings probably on lloyd mcclendon as a manager but like i think that's something you know similarly like lloyd mcclendon lupinella like managers who clearly cared a ton and like showed fans that they cared and like yeah a lot of you know some of it's bluster but like marco shows you that he cares just as much as you know you do as a fan for investing your time in this and that's just like a really satisfying thing to watch uh and and see that sort of you know this means a ton to him every time he goes there even if the game and the team you know isn't giving him the same level of of care like he is clearly giving it his all I think that's why my two favorites were both Marco games, and I really couldn't decide between the two of them. Um, I recapped a lot of Marco this year and a lot of Justice Sheffield, so I really would like to give some credit to Justice Sheffield. Um, but I, I cannot deny cannot deny the power of these two particular Marco games, one of which was the comeback against the Athletics. Um on one of the smoky games back in yeah game one of the smoke doubleheader yeah yes the smoke doubleheader september 14th um marco did not have his good stuff that day he was really uncharacteristically shaky he knew it his offense came back powered by exactly the kinds of guys you would like to see well and and jose marmaleos i guess uh, but a lot of Kyle Lewis figured heavily in that too. Um, and they just pulled out the win and they did it for Marco and it was fantastic. Um, to see the team, he, as John was saying, he's so often been the tide that lifts the rest of the boats. Um, the leader, the emotional leader in the clubhouse, the giving it all. It was great to see them. It was just, it was very emotionally satisfying to see the team pick him up on a day that he needed it. Um, and so I'd like that. And then, uh, actually the game that we had here just this Monday, the opening game of the series against the Astros, um, Marco went seven strong. He wasn't perfect. He had traffic on the bases in most of the innings, 
but again, his offense came and, and bailed him out. Well, not bailed him out because he wasn't, they put runs on the board for him uh, with a big home run from Evan White. That was maybe the most pumped up I've ever seen Evan White be about anything. He really tries hard not to let, you know, his struggles at the plate or any, he tries not to get too high or too low as a player. He's very even keeled, but seeing him get pumped up and flip the bat was awesome. And then the fact that it uh, clinched the AL West for not the Astros, for the first time in what feels like forever, it just felt to me like that was the that was potentially a something that we'll look back on when the Astros are in decline and the Mariners are on the rise because it will happen. Like the Astros cannot maintain the level that they're at. They're not going to be the bullies of the AL West anymore. Like they are losing so many people uh, to free agency and they've, they're going to be punished by these draft picks. Um, you know, that's really going to throttle down their system for a while. And they've spent a lot of those draft of their prospects, you know, that the farm has taken a hit as they've moved these guys up to the majors. And now you have the Verlander. Uh, I mean, that was, I think to me, that was like, the thing that definitively tilted it into like, I don't really believe the Astros are the threat in the AL West anymore. I think the A's are. And so we have a truce with them for now because we both hate the Astros, but um, it's really exciting to me. To, and that felt like that's a game that you could look back at and point at and say, this is where the Mariners started to not be kicked around by the Astros. Cause we've just been so kicked around by them for the last couple. I hate playing them. I hate going to Minute Maid. I hate, and I feel like the team doesn't do well against them. They have like a mental block or something. So to see Marco get his first ever career win against the Astros, I wish he'd made a big, bigger deal out of it because for me, I was, and I wish there had been fans there to be able to cheer for it because to me, I just feel like that was a very significant moment out of this season. Yeah, that that last point in particular, like Eric Sanford wrote on the site about that, about like how good you know you, that moment would have felt. Like, yeah, it wouldn't have been like a packed house to see you know a losing team in the last throws of the year, but like how sort of cathartic that would have felt. Uh, I think people would have showed up to watch the Astros, though. I think even my mom, who's like very, very gentle soul, wanted to go to Safeco and like bang on a trash can. She wanted to go boo them. And I I feel like that is maybe a sentiment that is shared among the region. Yeah, I had casual baseball fan friends, too, who were like, when are the Astros going to be here? I want to go and just boo them and get drunk and yell at Alex Bregman, and I'm bummed that we didn't get to do that. Oh, we'll do it next year. We will do it next year. That's true. Uh, John, do you have a favorite game you want to shout out? I do. Uh, mine is a bit of a laugher relative to, to what y'all selected, which I think were, were, were good good selections. Um, but I, I chose uh, the August 10th win against the Rangers. Uh, they were at Globe Life Field. Um, and I recapped the game, which obviously always, I think, helps in terms of searing a game into your mind, for better or for worse. Um, but they absolutely slobber-knocked 
Texas. Uh, 10-2 win. Justin Dunn was a little erratic, but still made it six innings uh, with only two earned runs. But this was sort of the start of the in-play Kyles um, situation. Uh, Not the start, necessarily, but uh, certainly a cementing point. Uh, Kyle Lewis hit a three-run homer uh, off a Kyle Gibson slider, and then later in the game uh, against literally a reliever I don't know the first name of, even as I'm staring at the clip, Uh, but someone named Herget or Herge. Uh, Luke? Hit, hit, I say it's Luke seems seems plausible. I'll give you Luke. Um, <laughs> you know, hit a grand salami. First first grand slam in Globe Life Field history. Of course, Kyle Seeger's uh, domain, and um, you know, and for for good measure, uh, Dylan Moore hit one just out to dead center, like you know, four hundred and thirty feet somehow, um, and it was. I mean, it, at each stage Jimmy of that Herget. was... Jimmy Herget. Jimmy. <laughs> there we go. I, You know, it was just one of those, like... Not that this matters a ton, but, like, it was the game where I was like, okay, the Mariners are not going to be good this year, but they're better than the Rangers. They're better than this team, and that, you know... I think we had a, there was a big discussion. There's been a continuing discussion about like, do you want the team to be terrible and get the top pick this or top pick this year? Or do you want to see development? And, you know, if that comes with them winning more games, but not necessarily uh, getting quite as high a pick. And that was a game where it was like, all right, like the guys who you want to see producing, just like you said, Kate, with the with the comeback for the most part, like these were game. You know, those were the games. It was like if I'm wondering about the Mariners' trajectory heading forward, this isn't like a determinant game, but it is something that can give you hope when you're when you're thinking in the winter of like I don't know. It's like well, they you know absolutely gave it to uh, some people sometimes, and if they can just do that a little bit more. Uh, we got something going here. Yeah, and I'm sad to potentially fall out of the top ten. Um, but A, I know the Mariners aren't going to draft who I want them to draft anyway. They're not going to go with a <laughs> high upside prep shortstop. Like, yeah. that's who I want, and that just is not who they pick. So <laughs> take your pick between boring college pitchers slash infielders, whatever. Um so, yeah, it's it's tough to root for that. But really what I don't mind is I don't mind them winning games against divisional opponents. I laugh at the fact that the Angels were supposed to be these big contenders this year and once again just absolutely could not get across the line. And it wasn't just their pitching either. Like, their lineup just, you know, they were supposed to be this high-powered thing with Rendon, blah, 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 uh, and they just fell flat, and I for one, celebrate it. Because I hate the Angels. I mean, I hate the Astros, but I really hate the Angels. And also, the Rangers, like, they're a mess. I think this was the year that they just all have to admit, like, they ha- whatever they've been doing, this skinny rebuild, rebuild light, whatever you want to reset, whatever you want to call it, is not working. Like, they have got to start building that from the ground up. So Well, they didn't, yeah. I mean, that, that was like, they didn't, do 
anything one way or the other. Like, I mean, like, they made trades and whatnot, but, like, and they, like, made some small signings. But it was, like, they made about as much of an investment or less than the Angels did. And the Angels are poorly, thoroughly all-in going for it. Well, like, I mean, they they made slight the angels bought Rendon. i mean that's right right but like but like more relative and i think than everything texas did combined right but i'm yeah i mean i'm thinking like they signed jordan lyles and kyle gibson and like made a and like todd frazier and like basically made like a bunch of like medium to small moves and traded for Corey kluber instead of uh you know and then like they had injuries but it was like what are you doing like what's 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 to borrow a phrase from our favorite uh, chronicler of the baseball condition, what is the plan? Uh, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it's. I mean, for and I think that that's something too that like for all the scrutiny and poo-pooing that the Mariners got, especially from a certain columnist uh, who shall remain nameless. It, about what the their high revenue and what are they doing? They're not spending money. Blah, blah, blah. Like, they there is a plan and the plan is being executed. And I don't love all parts of the plan for sure. Um, I don't love the safe draft strategy, namely, but the plan is the plan is happening. The plan is here. I don't love like not bringing up Jared Kelnick to get a taste of the bigs and you know backing up the Brinks truck to his house because uh, I would like to see them investing this money that they're saving in these homegrown players that they're so proud of. Mm. But, you know, there's, there, I think, I think that over the course of the season and through some of the moves that have been made, people, and seeing like the growth of Kyle Lewis and, you know, even though Evan White has been struggling, I think the people who know, like, know what you can reasonably expect from him. And he's been about what you expect. Uh, the strikeouts are higher than you want to see him, but he can really hit the ball. And the defense, obviously, is unimpeachable. So I think that the general sentiment of the baseball community has been like, hey, Jerry Depoto might actually know what he's doing. And I think it's just taken so long to shed that stink of the angels but you know kind of like in a in a well-publicized breakup um with one side seemingly being the clear winner like now we're we're finding out the dirt and realizing that uh that maybe maybe that was more on them than it was on DePoto. Absolutely. It's fuck the Angels today, tomorrow, and forever. But we're not here to rip on the Angels exclusively. We are. We probably will get a few more jabs in. But uh, let's move to our biggest surprise of the season, positive edition, before we go to the disappointment or the negative surprises. Uh, for me, I mean, we have a lot of interesting candidates here because we have some people who like were surprising in the way that like I their existence was a surprise like oh this is a person fantastic like that's great i'm so happy for them they're here this is wonderful they're on the seattle mariners and then there were some guys who i knew were on the mariners or like i had expectations for and they exceeded those but my pick is from the former category a man who i straight up did not know existed uh i'm taking jose marmalejos 
he of the 3,400 plate appearances in the Nationals minor league system and was never even really that good until he showed a little bit in 2019. And I learned all of that part this morning when I looked up his minor league stats with the Nationals. But to me, the reason why I picked him and the thing that kind of crystallized this whole thing for me was uh, he started on opening day after someone was scratched or I think there was some some expected starter didn't start. So Marmalejos got the opening day nod. And I got a text from my friend who straight up just said, who is Jose Marmalejos? And I want to read my quote verbatim. I said, minor league guy they got from the Nationals this offseason. I don't think they really expected him to make the team. Lol, but here we are. And he's been really good. Like, he's been enjoyable to watch. I don't, like I said earlier about Haggerty, like I don't hate when he's up. And that, like, is a real skill in terms of, entertainment value for the team uh i thought that it was fun that he played first base and then a little bit of left field when needed he was obviously not good at left field and we can get into the whole like should that have been kelnick or Braden bishop whatever but marmalejo's produced and i thought that he was just like a cool story for this team and i'm i'm surprised that he not only made the team but did well enough for me to like give him this award and that's kind of the essence of a surprise. So I'm going to give it to my man, Jose Marmalejos. And also just aesthetically, I really like his swing. It's kind of like Bellinger light. And I've, I've always just been a fan of that kind of swing. Yeah. He's, he's absolutely like pleasant to watch the plate. And I think he's got that good sweeping swing. Um, I, I think he's, he's got the challenge of like, he should be playing first base and he probably should not be doing his sort of left field shenanigans. Uh, putting him, I think, in right field. Clearly, at not. a certain, Clearly at a not certain left field. At yeah, I mean left field if you're gonna, but don't. And they put him <laughs> in right field in San Francisco, <laughs> which is the cruelest thing imaginable to him, and a also terrible to mismatch, a terrible mismatch. Oh my god! Yeah, I mean that was that was pretty rough, but like. He, yeah, I, as, as an offensive, like, option, I mean, he's been really, like, he, he's sort of had, he had a really, I think, rough start, but he, he he's picked it up since then, and, like, you know, he's not a world beater, but he, he is, like, oh, the Mariners have picked up some real trash before to fill out their lineups, and, like, I don't know, if you had Jose Marmalejos, like, 2016 through 2018, and just playing first base, like, you probably wouldn't be too upset, realistically. So, yeah. Relative to that, I, I think that was neat. Um, my 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 surprise was uh, a little bit more in the, like, I knew this person was there and uh, you have exceeded expectations. Um, and we don't need to go into it too much because we've talked about him. But Dylan Moore just, you know, really across the board has improved every aspect of his game. And that is fabulous, but it's also like, it is, it is a fascinating thing that I think the two biggest offensive success stories, and you guys can correct me if, if you think this is an inaccuracy, but I think the two biggest sort of position player success stories the Mariners have had developmentally at the big league level are guys who came into the organization really well into their career and were given a very clear opportunity and very clear direction on what they could adjust to to make the most of themselves 
And we saw more a lot last year, and there were bits and pieces where like he struck out too much, but he walked a little bit and he hit the ball really hard when he did make contact. And it's kind I mean, it's almost his season last year is almost what you're seeing from Evan White this year a little bit, where it's like you see bits and pieces of like, oh yeah, there is a good hitter in there, but like it's not happening yet. And can it can it coalesce? And I didn't really think it was gonna coalesce more. I wasn't <laughs> Uh, no pun intended, but like he continued to make good swing decisions. He ch- he picks the pitches he knows he can handle, and he does enough with the pitches that he struggles with, and he doesn't swing at the pitches he shouldn't enough. That he's just a good hitter. I mean, it, you know, it, it's very it sounds sort of like ridiculous when you phrase it like that, but like because of course, like why wouldn't everyone do that? But not everyone can do that, and he has done that this year uh and that's i mean that's awesome and and i would not have expected it from him at all so that that's been that's been really cool to see yeah kate uh you you got your man stolen but i'm sure you have another surprise or another person who you can heap praise upon even if their waist isn't as svelte as dylan moore's (laughs) my disney princess waist i have to say like big shout outs to the um Moore family who are very active on twitter he has sisters you can tell dylan moore has big like i have two sisters energy um but i thought they would be mad about my constant comparisons to dylan moore as a very tiny thing i know objectively he's not that tiny but he's fairly small compared to uh the amount of power that's in his bat i mean you look at some of these exavilos and you expect them to come off of like the big behemoth sluggers, but he just has been able to maximize that, um, what he has and how he swings and yeah, it's amazing. And then still use his little Disney princess waist to evade the tag at home plate. Just one of my favorite stills that I've ever grabbed on off of a game feed, I think. (laughs) Um, but I come here to, to praise someone else, uh, which is Austin Nola, which I think is a corollary to what um, what John was saying about the team being able to, I feel confident in their ability to identify guys who are being underutilized elsewhere. And you see this in pitching, and now we're also seeing it in some position players. Um, Austin Nola, another long-term minor leaguer, in a pretty, I think, dysfunctional Marlins system. Um, they're just... Everything that I hear about the Marlin system, none of it is good. I think they've maybe got things turned around there. But, John, did you want to say something? Oh, just, yeah. I mean, like, they, I'm trying to remember the specific site, but at least one of their sites is, like, consistently by players reviewed or, or like, viewed as, like, you don't want to go there. Um, and I, I think it's it's either their, like, high A or their double A affiliate. It's just, like, one of the, like, least pleasant and, and um nola spent a ton of time there so yeah like between coaching and just like facilities generally um but yeah i'm trying to think of what their double a their triple a was um uh new orleans for a long time which cannot be an entirely unpleasant place to play but i think they've now moved to wichita only then the minor league season got canceled so we never actually saw the wichita wind snappers or whirlwinds or whatever their name was supposed to be i think Um, i think jupiter which is their high a i believe is a ill-regarded affiliate an ill-regarded affiliate i'm not surprised i mean none of them are great right but 
Um, so yeah, the Marlins are so the Mariners have shown an ability to capitalize on some systems that are maybe not the making the most out of their players, and you see them picking on certain systems over and over again. Uh, we have the Marlins, we have the Nationals, from whom they got both Marmalejos and Austin Adams. Uh, they like a White Sox pitcher here and there, um, Rangers pitchers, um, Padres. I think that is more of a function of like just knowing that teams from top to bottom better than anything else because they share all minor league affiliates with them. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but Austin Nola, I think, was a huge surprise, not just to us, but, like, to the bigger baseball community, because if anyone knew him, it was, like, as a footnote to Aaron Nola, his more famous brother, which is obviously something we in Seattle know quite a bit about. Um, but when you look at his numbers, I mean, he was, like, the th he's the third best catcher in baseball, which admittedly is a pretty low bar to clear, but uh, he's just been fantastic. It was really sad. I was really sad to see him go. I know realistically, like, he would not be part of the next big Mariners team. Uh, I know they have a lot of... They have Tom Murphy. They seem really steadfast believers in Tom Murphy, who another... who Another one who is a long-term minor leaguer who, you know... So I'm hoping that the gamble works out and Tom Murphy is able to come back and not be a flash in the pan. They must obviously believe him if they were willing to deal Austin Nola for him. But uh, I've said this before. I want to see them develop something from the ground up and prove that they can develop a bat from the ground up. Uh, hopefully we'll see that, you know, non-phenom. Non-phenom. Uh, so not Julio Rodriguez, who I think is just a natural talent. I want to see them take something that is raw, very raw, and, and develop that. Uh, so they're doing a good job of polishing rocks from other systems, but that's what I really, that's the next big thing I want to see is see them develop something that is just not fully formed, as fully formed. And I am available. If the Mariners want to reach out to me personally, <laughs> I could play a decent, like, I think I could play left field defensively. I would be bad at it, but I could mm. play left field <laughs> defensively. I could not there. hit. There's no way I could hit at all. But I could play left field for, like, two innings as a defensive replacement. So, Jerry, you know, you know what to do. If you want to, if you want a real project, turn Matthew Robertson into, like, even just a buck 50 hitter. That would be... The biggest miracle anyone has ever pulled in Matthew, player development. Do you do you think you would be more successful if you went up with a wiffle ball bat or with a regular bat? Because your bat speed, I've seen with a wiffle ball bat, it's pretty good. I feel right. like it would it would lag a bit with a regular bat, but the you know the oomph behind it, uh, you know, yeah. does make a difference there. So I know, hear you. I mean. I definitely would need the lightest bat that Louisville Slugger or Marucci or whoever. I need the lightest one they what make a, to like maintain that Like one of those little ones speed. that you can buy in the gift shop, maybe? Yeah. I mean, if I use a straight wiffle ball bat, that's I'm going to hit, like, <laughs> nothing balls. So I need – I was a singles hitter anyway when I did play baseball. Uh -huh. So I think that that would translate, but I need at least a real bat. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm picturing definitely, like uh, – for the backyard baseball heads out there, my man Amir Khan used like the tiniest little bat you've ever seen in your life. Yeah. It was like very long and skinny. So that's kind of what I would need. 
So, yeah, a broom handle for sure. I want, yeah, what they were using in like the 1930s, basically. I need them to dig that back up and give it specifically <laughs> to me. And I, I think say, I could do all right. I would. I saw Granky throw that 52 mile an hour curveball, and I was like, I could hit that. Like that could be a yeah. single up the middle for me, no problem. I'm say, the the alternative is right. We get you like Babe Ruth club, right? That like 39, 43, and it's just yeah, like that's you not choke, gonna work. You choke and way then what? Give him someone it. to help him swing it. Like well, you choke way Matthews up, and you're just like. That. You know, you're kind of swinging like a dagger, right? You're just I'm exclusively, kind of... I'm exclusively fouling the ball off to right field if I do that. <laughs> just sitting there <laughs> trying to get the bat head over the plate, like, and I'm a whole second too like late every time. Hundred eight. If your entire goal is to foul off the ball every time, that every if you exclusively foul the ball off, that's that's a one thousand OBP. That's, All right, that's let's move point. on. Fabulous offensive point. I do want to point out. John did mention it, but uh, I did hit 500, 514, 906 in the Seattle <laughs> Wiffle Ball League this summer. So, Jerry, get at me. Those yeah. are real numbers. Good sample size, too. That's 35 plate appearances. That's so, true. Yeah. You know what to do. Uh, yeah, you're right, though. We need to move on. Uh, I want to. Do we have one you more and Joe Odom, one in here? Same number of PAs this year. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. We do have one more positive one, and then we'll start dumping on people. Uh, favorite new. <laughs> Favorite new guy, which is defined as guy who was not with the organization prior to this year. So no rookies who were in the Mariners system. These are guys that they've acquired. I already shouted out Marmalejos, but for this award specifically, I want to give it to someone who, uh, kind of like Marmalejos, I guess, I didn't think had much of a future with the Mariners. And now I'm literally all in on him as a closer. And that's Kendall Graveman, who was signed to be a starter. They gave him the classic one-year show me something deal and he showed him something i mean that one inning where he was hitting 97 with that like front hip movement on the two seamer that was like one of the coolest things that happened all year and no one expected that not even kendall graveman like there's no way he thought he'd be throwing 97 on the black at the start of this year so i'm happy that he was introduced to us uh i think that unless they want to go really deep rotation um or do like a shuttle system for the back end of the uh, pitching staff that he will almost certainly be in the bullpen next year. Uh, I would totally be okay with them giving him another contract as he does have, I think he has an option, but it was a one year deal. And I think if he just becomes the closer that also kind of gives them one more year to bide their time and figure out, okay, after that, do we need to then sign a real closer, like someone who's closed before, or can we just keep rolling with Kendall Graveman? Uh, And I think that'll be kind of a fun storyline for next year as well. But uh, him coming in and like just deciding I'm going to throw it really, really hard now but that I've moved to a different role was very cool. So he's my favorite new guy um, that was not with the team last year. He definitely cemented uh, some love for me when he showed up with the giant chain that the team apparently oh, yeah. bought for him. And he was like, I don't know if it's all real, though. We have a lot of rookies. But he has <laughs> been wearing that chain every single time I've seen him. Not on the mound because it is quite large. Um, but every time I've seen him since he's been wearing that chain. So I think that to me says something too about him and the clubhouse and the influence he has and the way he gets along with these guys that, you know, he shows up, he's been hurt. Like he's not been in the organization before he came over. I remember him as an A more than anything else. Um, but he's just obviously one, one over the hearts in the clubhouse. So that means he has one over my heart as well. 
Uh, speaking of that, I'm going to give my heart to Luis Torrens, who uh, I think was like the forgotten guy in the big Austin Nola trade because we made a lot of noise about Taylor Trammell, who obviously is very fun. I cannot wait to see more of him. Um, just great personality. Uh, Ty France, who's been, I really enjoy watching him at bat. I just, I like the way he, I like his approach at the plate so much. He's a productive hitter. He reminds me of like the Seth Smith, like dad of the team, just that professional plate appearance, Denard Span. you know, if he's filling that hole, which I think this team really needed. Um, and then there's the guy who throws a hundred Munoz who we won't see for a while, but Terence kind of got lost in the shuffle and he's the one we're seeing the most of. And as I mentioned earlier in the show, like he's, he's been hitting the ball hard. I think he has a really good plate appearance. He's a really good defensive catcher. Um, I think he's still learning to work with some of our pitchers as far as like framing and stuff. He's really missing that top of the zone, but he works really well with Sheffield. Um, he threw a runner out from his knees the other day. I mean, he's an impressive, impressive force. And he has an adorable sheep doodle named Kaigo, who I'm a little bit obsessed with. So just really love what he brings. Love, love everything about him. Excited to see what he does next year. Totally. He's a very welcome addition. And I'm not even really that familiar with watching him play baseball. But the things that you mentioned about his his dog and then his dad is also on Twitter. And he's very supportive in like the best way, like not a helicopter parent way, like a, well, a I'm so proud of, of my son. L- little bit of a helicopter parent. Little bit, little bit. I mean, he's definitely very invested in his son's career, which I think is very cute. But he has like... um. There's a YouTube channel of all. It was actually fantastic because when I was writing up the article about him, there was so much footage available to me because he's screenshot or screen recorded all of Terenz's big plays from the minor league games. So it was fantastic. Really helpful. But yeah, he and he, um, you know, he'll get in there and get in people's mentions. They are Venezuelan, um, but definitely a totally bilingual family, which I think is, again, something that's really... Uh, great for our pitching staff. Um, yeah, he's he's a, he's a little bit, but they're and again very proud. I think the Mariners loom large in um, among Venezuelans because of Felix, because of Freddie Garcia, um, and he was very. He tweeted about how proud he was to have his son joining the team of of so many great Venezuelans. So I thought that was a nice moment. Yeah. Uh, Wancho, hambre nuevo favorito. <laughs> <laughs> uh, see, uh, my. I see those Duolingo person. lessons have really been coming in clutch for you. Yep, yep, yep. Coming up huge. Um, Grande, actually. My favorite person uh, new to the Mariners this year uh, is uh, Nick Margavichus. What? Uh, yeah, uh, I. I love how you were laughing when you were saying, like, <laughs> "Oh God, here I we go." I was laughing while saying it. I, there was some gesturing happening behind the scenes, uh, off camera. But uh, no, I, I, I had written down um, Taylor Williams, and I really like Taylor Williams. But um, even just in watching today's game, I think I've been swayed in a, in the recency bias here. Um, 
So Nick Margevich uh, just got out of a bases loaded one out situation in the sure game that we're all kind did. of watching behind. Sure did. And Ty France just singled to give us a three nothing. Um, my man, my man, Ty France. Yeah, yeah. Mar- I, so Margevich has not been extraordinary by any stretch. I, I wouldn't. I'm not sure that I would really make any plans around him. Um, but. He is a 24-year-old lefty who is pretty solid in terms of his, like, K-to-walk ratio. Like, he's basically just been a league-average starting pitcher, which is pretty awesome for a guy who probably shouldn't have been in the big leagues last year and the Mariners picked up on waivers. Like, that is... For free, yeah, for, for if it is for free, it is for me and for the <laughs> Mariners, uh, and that is the Nick Margavich's story. Like, I don't know that you know you're looking at Margavich's and you're saying like, oh yeah, like this is absolutely like a guy you're planning around, but the fact that you have for the Mariners suddenly like. It, if you if you look at like the Astros, the Dodgers, uh, even the Braves uh, of the past few years, you know the, these really dominant teams that are overflowing with depth. What they have essentially is a setup where not only do they have great starters, but when they need to give those starters and and not just like starting rotation, but like starting players throughout their position players and and starting pitchers but they have the ability to okay we're running out this group tonight okay someone goes down we have a very reasonable backup who is going to keep that sort of a high floor um you know that's and that's i mean that's sort of the, the value of someone like dylan moore as well where it's like yeah you probably want him starting every night but also if someone gets hurt you can shuffle him over and you're not gonna fall off um, Margavich is kind of, at least thus far, seems to be built, you know, putting himself in a position to be that kind of guy where it's like, yeah, maybe you don't necessarily go into 2021 or 2021 thinking, yeah, Nick Margavich should be one of our starting pitchers, uh, long term. But you do think, okay, let's, let's try and like upgrade. And if someone gets hurt, we have Nick Margavichus, and we're not going to be suddenly like running out, you know, Ariel Miranda, or uh, you know, just you know, getting a spot start from Ross Detweiler, uh, you know, with a team that's supposed to be competing. Like, no, you have a guy who you can keep in your bullpen, or you can do you know do something with, and and just provides layers upon layers of flexibility and dur- and and. Uh, and, um, you know, room to try various different things as an organization. And that that is a huge win uh, for, for a guy you got for free. 1,000%. And I think he is, like, an interesting piece, too. Like, I think I like him a lot as, like, a fifth starter. I definitely would feel different if they were, like, expecting him to be, like, a guy. But I think he's totally fine as a fifth starter, long oh, yeah. reliever type. Yeah, absolutely. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. 
life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah. Okay, now we have to move to the sad part of the show. Um, we're going to start with, I think, biggest disappointment and just kind of get it all out there airing of grievances style uh unfortunately we do have some candidates for this one as well it would be nice if there was like one guy with a blinking like pick me sign above him but we each picked someone different for this one and with a heavy heart i must announce that i have picked shedrick bernard long jr uh it feels like it sort of has to be both in terms of his performance and the fact that he was hiding an injury from the team which is both like understandable from like a got to go out there and grind kind of standpoint, which, you know, is kind of part of the problem of sports and masculinity at large. But uh, I've said before that I feel like a parental connection to Shed, even though we are the same age. And when I found out that he had been hiding an injury, I let out like a deep, exasperated sigh like your parents would if they found out you got detention or something because it was just so avoidable. Like he could have just shut it down and started fresh next year. But again, like he wants to be on the field. He wants to prove himself, which I understand. But I was very upset with him, honestly, Um, especially because he is one of the guys that we thought would be like on the next good Mariner team. Like he was supposed to be the second baseman when they break the drought. And now I think he's a little farther away from that. We've also seen Dylan Moore really emerge and he can play second base. So that kind of creates an issue for shed and then coming back from this injury is not going to be easy so it was really i don't want to say a lost year but it was like a 95 percent lost year for shed and there's really just no way around it i think he would say the same thing he's usually been a very honest forthcoming guy in his like media statements and all of his things that he'll say on the record so i'm sure that if he hasn't already i'm sure he'll go on a long like yeah i'm really sorry maybe it'll be like you know beginning of next season when the Seattle Times catches up with him or whatever, and he'll explain everything that went wrong and why he's so remorseful. But uh, yeah, Shed, you are my biggest disappointment of the 2020 Mariners as I now move away from the microphone to wipe my tears away. I think I too share in your tears, Matthew, regarding uh, Shed Long, who would be my pick if you hadn't already picked him um, because what he was supposed to do was hit and he wasn't hitting which is i can put up with you know some middling defense but you you gotta hit my man you gotta hit so hopefully he will get right over the off season um and hopefully that ankle was hindering him more than we knew but um i guess i'm gonna go with uc kikuchi which feels mean because he has been better markedly better at sometimes but then there are games where he looks markedly worse. I mean, maybe not worse than last year when he just looked awful all the time. But um, 
it's specifically because one of his most recent games was maybe one of the worst, if not the worst. I mean, he was just throwing non-competitive pitches. He had no semblance of command. And uh, I worry about Kikuchi mentally, where he just seems to get into a bad place sometimes and then compounds his mistakes and just can't seem to, like, get it going right on the mound. So I am encouraged by his improvements this season and I know development is linear linear and it's foolish to expect him to get better and better and better from start to start, but it's just too inconsistent for me, um, for me to feel really good about him and his place in the rotation. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's a tough one. Tough pill to swallow for sure. Yeah. I, I want to have a more fervent defense of Kikuchi. Cause I do think he's looked better, but like, the inconsistency has still been there a bit and it's inconsistency that you know he can he should be getting a little bit luckier with because he's throwing over two miles per hour harder this year because he's really just generally being more effective for the most part but yeah i mean there are times when he's just not with it and it it doesn't make nearly as much sense as last year where it was like okay your mechanics are not in whack and so not only are you not throwing with good command you're throwing it slower than normal and none of your pitches are moving as well uh so i i do think he's been a little unlucky and like over the length of a full season he would get a little bit more uh more love from from the old results column but that's been tough um sort of on the opposite end of the spectrum Almost my biggest disappointment has been Justin Dunn, uh, who, you know, has actually had somewhat decent numbers in terms of, you know, pure results. Um, But really every other way you could measure a pitcher, he has been really, really having a tough time. He's got a 4.20 uh, blaze it ERA. Um, but, I mean, he's not had good command. He's been really inefficient. He's striking out and walking hitters at very close to the same rate. Um, he's been pretty dang lucky with his balls in play. Uh, he's giving up essentially like an elite exit velocity. Um, for all of the contact he is giving up, like 92 miles per hour, over 92 miles per hour is the average, and that is an extremely good uh, normal actual exit velocity. Um, like, that is, uh, I think, basically, it's actually exactly like if Evan White was making contact every time uh, against Justin Dunn, that is what the contact has been. Um, and, I mean, yeah, it's it's just been, like, there hasn't been one game, really, where it all looked right. Like, it, he hasn't looked like the guy la- he was last year, where it was like, yes, you know, you're, you're a guy with a good fastball and a good slider, and you still need to work on your curveball and your changeup, maybe, but this is clearly a guy who should be a starting pitcher in the big leagues and instead it's been fastballs a little bit down curveball isn't so sharp and the changeup hasn't progressed 
and he's still walking lefties like almost one in three lefties he faces is just a walk and that's you just can't be a starter if that if that's what's happening and uh it sucks because i because i think there's a much better pitcher in there than he's shown and i hope he can find a way to get there but this year was really condensed and and he had to show something better than this uh, to, to really be someone you could plan around. And I, I don't know if the Mariners are going to plan around him in the rotation anymore because of it. Yeah, we'll see. I, I agree with everything you said, and I'm trying to be optimistic because I'm rooting for him the same way I'm rooting for most of these guys who we've like pegged as the, the capital P prospects. But you're totally right. When I watch him this year, it does not inspire much confidence at all really especially in him being a starter there's always that sort of nagging thought like well what if he just you know focuses on two of these pitches and tries to become a closer and that's like seems like kind of admit kind of like admitting defeat but if that's what it takes like i think but if that's what it takes to like make him Mm -hmm. a mariner and like make him part of this rebuild and feel included then i'm all for it well, and I think I think I mean there have been people who have wondered that about him all the way through. Like he was a reliever for much of his yeah. you know, time in college, and I think that's not a terrible outcome for him. Like I think he'd be really well suited to that, especially if his fastball would tick up a bit in one to two innings, because um, the slider's still good. Um, and you know, if if that's what it is, I mean, especially in a rebuild that is so pitcher heavy, you know. Right. Not being one of the five or six final starting pitchers isn't like a failure, you know. Like if you can't beat out Marco Gonzalez and Yusei Kikuchi and Justice Sheffield and Logan Gilbert and George Kirby and yeah, that's probably a good at least yeah. one free agent signing, like yeah, exactly. So you know, like that's not a you know failed outcome for Dunn, but you know this was his year to say. No, actually, I'm one of the guys you have to beat out, and he hasn't done that, and that's too bad. Yes, but we will remember him, unlike the people for this next award. This was a carryover from last season, an award that we're calling the Tyler Smith Award for the most forgettable Mariner, uh, named after Tyler Smith, who, if you are driving a car, pull over and Google him so you can remember Tyler Smith. He was a real guy who played for the Mariners in 2017 OSU OSU legend Tyler Smith long term minor leaguer I do not forget Tyler Smith okay well apologies to this man and Oregon State University as an institution but uh, he is the patron saint for this award we'll say maybe someone who you can channel when you make your pick Kate to honor him really is what this is Uh, for me I mean we have so many choices from this bullpen but the way that my brain works, I feel like I will remember some of these bullpen guys because they were so forgettable. Like Because they were so nothing, that's kind of the bit. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember all those guys from 2020. The guy who I know for sure I will forget is Joe Hudson, the catcher who got like eight games maybe. I'm not going to look it up because I don't care. But he has the problem of not playing very much not being good or doing anything memorable, and then also having a very plain name. And that's the really the trifecta here. That's the Tyler Smith <laughs> really distilled into one man. And catcher, too. I mean, backup catchers, we've already cycled through so many of them. And the ones that you remember usually have, like, a quirk to them or something or, like, did something that was kind of fun and endearing. Joe Hudson, 
you know, bless his heart, he did none of that. So he is my pick, and I'm sure I will forget about him within the next 20 minutes after making him my pick. Okay, like, Joe Hudson is... Yes, Joe. Joe. I think Joe Hudson is a good answer. I thought you were going to say Joe Odom, who is also somehow a catcher who's on the team, who is basically Justin Dunn's personal catcher, who he knows from um, Arkansas. But yeah, I, I, I could see an, an argument made for either of those. I think, though, you have to go with this awful, awful bullpen. And I was going to say Jimmy Yakamonis because... Um, but he's got the name. He's got remember the name. That name for so yeah. Long. And I think he's he's unfortunately going to live somewhat in infamy because after my favorite game, one of my nominees for favorite game, which was the comeback against the A's from a strong pitching performance from Marco, everyone was flying high. And then Jimmy Yacobonis got the start in the second game uh, and just was terrible, like just awful. Things were awful. Uh, he did gift us the Kyle Lewis Grand Slam robbery, but I think, yeah, just because of those things, he's going to be notorious enough, and his name is weird. Um, I'm going to go with Brian Shaw. As oh, a yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who, um, who we signed, and I couldn't remember how to spell his name, and it's Brian with a Y, because my mnemonic for remembering it was, why did we sign Brian Shaw? Uh, I guess they thought they could fix him. <laughs> they could not. He was horrible. Um, I mean, if you, yeah, I, I understand wanting to like rehab projects from the Rockies, but I just, it never seems to work out to me. Like they just, they get so destroyed by having to pitch there. Their spirits are broken. Like it's just, it's no good. Um, so yeah, I've, I will probably remember Brian Shaw because uh, for some reason my dad has like a white hot intensity and like he can't remember like my birthday, but he will remember Brian Shaw with hatred for the rest of his life. Because uh, whenever that. there's a Mariner blowing a pitching performance, he's like, oh, at least, at least it's not Brian Shaw. <laughs> that's, the, that's the bar we're at. I think he and I will be the only ones who, who remember him. Uh, I think the rest, everybody else will blissfully, mercifully move on from remembering Brian Shaw played for the 2020 Mariners. Yeah, I think that's pretty pretty solid. I, I think sort of similarly in that in that vein, like Brady Lale is almost like the meme guy of like, oh Brady Lale's gonna pitch again. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I I think that's that was going to be uh, potentially my answer. Uh, I'm going with uh, Walker Lockett, who today I have multiple times mispronounced or miswritten as Walter Lockett just assuming that was his name i don't know why walker is so much weirder uh to it's his middle name. name his first name is andrew his middle name <sighs> is walker because i looked up his details and i was like who's this andrew locket why is this lo-? mm. and then i realized that it was it was cross-listed so yeah i think it makes me hate him more that he's made yeah. an actual choice to go yeah. by walker locket Mm-hmm. It's As too many like, L's what, and K sounds. It's, it's hard to yeah. say. Yeah, my yeah, man exactly. looks like a thumb. He throws ninety five, but he looks like a thumb and has not been good. I will say I'm I'm going to give an honorable mention to Zach Grotz, who I think could have been the two years running forgotten yeah. most forgettable player. Which like I know we, especially like Kate and I, like we know Zach Grotz. Like he's kind of an interesting story, but also like 
man, I could have forgotten that he was on this team two years in a row, and that would not have, you know, been a shock. So yeah, he's like a perfect little avatar for this brief era of 2019 and 2020, where like the Mariners were in like a loading phase and they were just throwing guys out there. Like it was a lot. There was like nine guys who were basically Zach Grotz, you know? Yeah. The, the Zach Grotz era is the exact right definition for what is hopefully a two year period. Um, and maybe a three year period here, but, uh, yeah, I, I like that definition a lot. Beautiful. Okay. Uh, let's move to the big award of the night. The one that everyone was really gunning for. Uh, it's the Mark Canna award for best new enemy. Uh, this was created last year when I decided that I hate all things Mark Canna and we decided to name an award after him. I gave the, the first award of in this category to him. So that is why he is the namesake. Uh, but this year, we've each picked someone different. Uh, it's really an interesting little group that we have here looking at this Google Doc we've created. Uh, I'll go first because mine is pretty mild. Then we'll uh, ISO for, for you guys who might have more strong opinions on this. But when I was thinking about like who came into my life this year that I had never once had any shred of emotion toward and now I hate them, it is Darren Ruff, who is on the Giants. He had been in the big leagues uh, before this and then was never good. So he did the classic, I'm going to go to Korea, find my swing again. So he was in Korea for three years, is now not as bad. But he only had six at-bats against the Mariners this year. And he went three for six with two home runs. And those were in those Giants games where, like, every time we played the Giants, it was like, oh, if we win these games, we're in really good position to maybe sneak into the playoffs or at least make things interesting for the rest of the year. And the Giants just won all of those games in the most annoying fashion. And a big reason for that was my man Darren Ruff, who I can say genuinely I am happy for him. I'm glad that he had a cool rebound season in a relatively low stakes situation. I just really wish it hadn't been against the Mariners. And he also feels like he should be on the Mariners. Like he has a very big Mariner energy between the like never being good journeyman who they're trying to fix and the little sabbatical in Korea. The Mariners have done that with a couple guys. So Darren Ruff uh, wins my Mark Canna award. Although, like I said, I'm not that passionate about it. This year, maybe next year, someone will come up and claim the award again. But for now, it's Darren Ruff. And I will uh, cede my time to you for your rant against who you hate the most now. Uh, I would also like to shout out Nick Fielden at Nick Fielden, who said, Can I re-nominate Mark Canna for wearing a face covering in games when it is cold, but not during a pandemic? And to that I say, absolutely. And yeah, also to yeah. Mark Canna uh, taking a public health course at whatever berkeley or online um i forget what school he took it at but you know and then getting just praised up and down around the corner for taking a class on public health i just I cannot stand him um <laughs> so yes i will definitely re-up no that my nominee for this category does not capture the white hot hatred i feel in my heart for mark canna obviously um None of the Astros are specifically evil enough. I would put Justin Verlander in there. I just personally can't stand him. I hate him. Um, I will have to say, like, David Fletcher would have been my answer here, except the Angels are so pathetic that... Fletch lore? No. Yeah, Fletch lore. I love Fletch lore. God, that tweet. Oh, I almost... I want to go punch at Angels in the face for that. (laughs) 
Um, but I'm going to go with like the successor to David Fletcher, who was on the Giants, who were definitely the team that rubbed me wrongest. Um, and I will say Donovan Solano really bothered me because he was just, just, he came out of nowhere and he's just getting all these hits. They could not get him out. He drove me nuts. But the bigger enemy on that team has to be Sam Coonrod, who threw at precious, precious Dylan Moore's head. Hit him with 99. Dylan Moore's now on the concussion list after getting hit in the head again. Um, but Sam Coonrod is also the one player who didn't kneel for the show of unity prior to the season, or prior to the first game of the season, um, because he only kneels to God. And I just... Then don't go out on the field. Like, don't don't make a spectacle of yourself if you really disagree with it that much. So don't be the one guy standing there. That's... I don't... I don't appreciate that. I don't feel like that is within the spirit of anything that this, that that was about. And then that plus throwing 99 at Dylan Moore's head. I, I guess he's not really perfect for this category. Solano is more annoying to me. Coonrod, I would be happy never seeing again at all. Yeah. He like, he sucks big time. He like, sucks. I have no, I have no like good things to say about Sam Coonrod and likely he never will. sucks. Uh, absolute absolute enemy uh it's a very good choice uh my my choice is uh sort of a little less satisfactory than that but definitely uh i I wanted to get the astros represented on here um good and you know it could have been martin maldonado i it was machete Machete, yeah. It could have oh, been machete, yeah. But... Him turning into a 500 hitter against the Mariners, and the Mariners yeah. only is... Ugh. I want to say, real quick, I like Martin Maldonado because uh, MLB decided to mic Mike Trout for a game for some reason, knowing that he doesn't say anything. And the best part of that segment was he's hitting, and Martin Maldonado is catching, and there's two strikes, and he goes, here comes Ponchi. <laughs> Mike Trout, <laughs> Mike Trout oh, is literally no. giggling. He's giggling while he's hitting. And then when oh, he gets no, the I first, <laughs> when he gets the first, he's talking to Guriel, I think, or whoever's playing first for the Astros, and he's like, I can't deal with Maldonado, bro. Like, he was talking to me the whole time. It's really funny. You should try to find it if you oh, can. Oh, absolutely. No. Maybe so, that's why he's so effective as a catcher. No, he's that's just what talking shit be. the whole time. Absolutely, that's what every catcher should be doing. There's no rule against it. Like, why would you not just be constantly like constant stream of like? I cannot imagine Cal Raleigh doing that though. Like, no, Cal no, Raleigh no, no, no. Any, no, no, well, cause no. Most because most catchers are not, and most human beings are not like I'm shameless Wired enough to, to just. Constantly, oh my god, I'd be like, such a good catcher. That, like, yeah, uh, I think he also. I think he played with Trout too on the Angels, so I think he was, yeah. it was like a playful thing. No, yeah, I don't know yeah, if he does yeah, that for. Sure. Every hitter. Absolutely. For sure. But anyways, my, my pick is a not necessarily super satisfactory one. It's Framber Valdez, who is uh, not a super established pitcher. Um, but uh, he's very well established against the Mariners in that he has mm, six games and four starts. And now after uh, this week, 30 and a third innings. Uh, and a cool 1.48 ERA. Uh, he's just absolutely obliterated Seattle, um, and otherwise, like he's been a decent pitcher. But out, you know, I mean, not in games outside of the Mariners. Kind of a middling, inconsistent, long relief slash, you know, maybe spot starter guy. But 
the Mariners have made him look inhuman. And, uh, I mean, it's not as though the Mariners were really competing for something big this year, but to it sucks to see them get shut down by guys that the rest of the league kind of handles. Uh, and Framber took that spot for them this year. That yeah. does suck. I can't but hate- I gotta say, I I can't hate Framber Valdez because he was scouted like he was like nineteen or twenty when he signed, which is absolutely geriatric in international free agent signings. Mm. Um, they found him. They drove out after the Astro scouts after they had already done the rest of their scouting on the island for the day. He pitched for them. They had to turn on the car headlights because there were no lights in his town, no overhead lights. So they turned on the car headlights so they could see him pitch and signed him based on seeing his curveball for, you know, a a tiny little amount of money. And for somebody who really loves scouting and especially turning up, like, uh, undiscovered gems and doing those things, like, really just exhausting, getting where other people, going where other people don't go. That's how you find uh, those kinds of hidden gems. And I think the scouting community is in such trouble right now with all these teams dialing things back i worry about the framber valdezes and how they're going to get found now so he might be the last of a of a dying breed so i can't i can't hate him for that i was just gonna say i can't hate a guy named framber that's just too great of a name for me to have any sort of ill will towards i i respect and love all frambers i want that on the record so to all the frambers thank you for what you've done (laughs) Um, okay, in classic award show fashion, this has gone long, but we have two Twitter questions that I wanted to shout out as we are nothing if not giving to the community and um, appreciative of their work. So maybe this is a lightning round, um, but one of them from Brian at a player to be named later with a bunch of numbers and letters in there uh, wants us to do the wah wah award, <laughs> the game where the Mariners snatched defeat out of the jaws of victory. And this oh, one for me we, took we, about. Yeah. We all have the same about two seconds, one, right? Yeah. It's okay. unquestionably the one in San Diego where they gave up five yeah. runs with two outs in the final inning. Yeah. Uh, I was recapping that one, and I will say it was hilarious. Like, it became <laughs> less funny. It became a lot less funny when you realize that if they had won that game, they could have swept the Padres in San Diego. But while it was happening, I was like, because I mean, not to, I like, we all are kind of tired of this, like, same old Mariners thing. But that was the one game this year where I could feel in my bones, we are losing this game. <laughs> Even when it was like four runs down to three, down to two, and like, there's still, like, the win probability is still very much in our favor. I was like, there's no way. And then to lose on an absolutely blistered walk-off grand slam from Will Myers, which I think also might have extended (laughs) their grand slam streak, like perfect cherry on top. So that is obviously the winner. I really don't even know what, if there's another candidate, please let me know because I think a lot of their losses this year have been, they've been losing the whole time or at least like it wasn't as dramatic as that one in San Diego. Yeah, I think they've been wire-to-wire losses or bullpen blows it, but not in such a spectacular fashion with such a such a lead. I can't I can't think of one certainly. No. Um okay, then let's go to the final one, the one that really will cap this off in classic lookout landing fashion and hopefully spark some debate. Uh, at Harper underscore work wants us to name the handsomest mariner. Ooh, and, uh, this is right yeah. up my alley. 
It is. Well, and there's a lot. We got we got a good looking team, if I do say so myself. And it's fun too because there's something for everyone. Like there's the young guys, and then you have sort of the more seasoned. I mean, I'm not gonna pick him, but Kyle Seeger with his beard now mm-hmm. is yeah, making he's things hot interesting. Now. Yeah. yeah. So I will. I just want to say two things. Uh, Dylan Moore to me is handsome, but Kyle Lewis is hot. That's what I'm gonna say about it. When I see Kyle Lewis with a smile on his face and like that kind of. He's very, like, sure of himself. You know, like, confidence is very sexy. So I think I'm going to pick Kyle Lewis for hot. Dylan Moore, when I look at him, he's, like, he is, like, what I think of, like, handsome Ken doll kind of shit. Where it's, yeah. like, he looks harmless. Like, he's not going to break my heart, you know? He's going to be very <laughs> nice to me. <laughs> and he has just, like, such a approachable face with the dimples and everything. Like, he's just, like, dude next door. Whereas Kyle Lewis is, like, he could ruin my life if he wanted to. <laughs> See, I, I got to take points off for Kyle Lewis's scraggly beard or whatever that thing is on his face. He does it have is. bad. Yeah, sometimes he has weird sideburns. facial hair kind of move. Yeah, like a real, like, yeah, 18. He does have, like, the, the Samuel L. Jackson in uh, Black Snake Moan. He has, like, that weird sideburn thing he was trying for a little mm-hmm. bit. I hated that. Yeah, no, no. I, I, I mean, I... Kyle Lewis has like a physical specimen, I think is I look at him and he's just he's so big. He's bigger than you think he is. Like I remember walking up next to him at spring training one year and just being surprised at how far up I had to crane my neck. And he's not like large, but he is imposing. It's really really interesting. I mean, he yeah, just looks like looks, a linebacker. Uh but, but not as big though not as bulky but still so strong i know it's it's weird he looks fantastic um but yeah i gotta i gotta take off big points i'll add points for the smile but detract major points for that scruff on his face i'll allow Um, it yeah that's fair and i agree with you dylan moore with the dimples uh you know sneaky sneaky contender louis torrens very good looking uh, looks yeah. like Jon Snow, as a Twitter commenter pointed out, um, very alarmingly so in some pictures. But yeah, he's he's got a nice face. I, I think he looks he he he's good looking. He's probably my choice. Uh, he's but got I got the, the the scout face. They, I, they would put good face. They on put good report. face on him. I don't think uh, anyone else would pick this either. But and I know he's kind of an old face for. But Justice Sheffield, I enjoy the proportions of his booty, uh, which he himself acknowledges. I believe hashtag yeah. ass fat was a running joke for a while. And I don't know. I just Justice Sheffield has been like that slow burn for me because I've had to recap so many of his games and they're always very competent. And I think competence is, I, I think competence is sexy. So I completely I'm go agree ahead, with that. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and, and throw justice uh, just co- coming into his own this year. And like you said, confidence is sexy and so is competence. So I'm, I'm going to throw justice Sheffield's name out there too. He's like 1970s hot. Like when he has the, the ringlet <laughs> curls. Oh, and yeah. Like, you know, I forgot about that. The prince, yeah. the prince curl. Yeah. And like uh, if he were to wear like tight 70s pants to really show off. The he wears fat, pretty then, tight then pants. Then we're talking. But they I'm saying like off the field. Oh, if I were off to see the field. Him in, like, in like a 70s get up, I'd be like, oh, damn. Yeah. Yeah. Justice, if you were listening, uh, we have your Halloween costume all worked out for you. I'm happy to send you a mood board. John, do you want to weigh in? 
JP. Oh, right, nice choice. JP looks John like loves a John loves a West Coast dirtbag. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely. definitely feel like JP has the look of a guy who will ruin your life. Hundred <laughs> percent. But I like it. Yeah, we got it. Like I said, though, it's a it's a good looking team. Marco Gonzalez is very cute, I would say, and is, uh, Tim Lopes also oh, sneaky obviously. hot. Yeah, very hot. And um, the hair on Marco this year too, like growing out the curl yeah. a little, his quarantine cut, and then he kind of kept it. I'm really feeling that. That's that's a good. He has a tattoo him. also. I don't know if he had that before, but I noticed yeah, the tattoo I this year that. on one of his. Yeah, he got an arm like a forearm tattoo. I don't know what it. I guess, Upper arm, maybe I don't know. Yeah, it's like a date, like a Roman numerals date. So, yeah, I have I have questions. I have questions, Marco. Yeah. Well, if anyone wants to yell at us or add their uh, their hottest manner, I feel like we covered the obvious choices. But I'm interested to see if there's someone like a you know like a what's that movie? She's all that where they like <laughs> they like do one thing like oh my god wait they were hot the whole time. <laughs> Uh, well, that could be Kyle an award Seeger. next year, actually. I, I feel like yeah. that's definitely Kyle Seeger growing in the stubble. And then with the, like, gator or whatever the neck, the mask around the neck is, like, yeah, just yeah, gives yeah. him, like, a rakish pirate look. And it, it works. <laughs> it works for me. Rakish pirate is what we were going for with this episode. <laughs> I think we nailed it. So thank you to everyone who listened. Like we said, in classic award show fashion, it did go long. But uh, we also... Need to wrap this up. Uh, so thank you, everyone, um, for the Twitter questions and for listening all year. And like Kate said, this is probably the last episode of the regular season, and it's been a fun ride. It was certainly weird, and I hated a lot of it, but I'm glad that it happened. So yep. Uh, and we'll be back to cheers. talk playoffs with you. Yeah, we'll talk playoffs and then move into the off season and answer the ultimate question, which is, what is the plan? <laughs> <laughs> so until then, thanks, everyone. Goodbye. Bye.